Welcome to We Used to Be the Smart Kids. I'm Eric. And I'm Carolyn. And today's topic, we've been dancing around it for ages, but I just wanted to give a primer on 80s teen sex comedies. I just want to give a quick overview and discuss them and enlighten Carolyn on what she's been missing. Have I really, though, been missing anything? Uh, you've been missing outrage because these there are some things you're going to get absolutely outraged about. Ah, oh, okay. This is good. This is good. So hold on. I mean, obviously we're in the 80s, right? Yes. Are there any major hallmarks of the genre that I should be keeping in my head so that I, I'm like placed both in time and like kind of what we're talking about, you know? Yeah. I wanted to discuss Porky's, Revenge of the Nerds, Pretty Smart. Um, Weird Science is probably the least offensive of the ones of the 80s teen sex comedies. Wait, isn't Weird Science the one where they make a sex robot? A uh, sex robot genie, yes. Isn't that famous for being offensive? Yes. <laughs> oh boy okay yeah john hughes was the least offensive in the 80s compared to what was coming out around him which is why i feel like he got such a good reputation of being in touch with the teenage girl so the 80s teen sex comedies i want to i'm not an expert on this other than having watched the whole fuck ton of them but I feel like they came from the beach movies of the 60s and 70s, your Gidgets and whatnot. Sure. We will absolutely pretend that I know what you're talking about right now. <laughs> Gidgets. Gidget? You don't know Gidget? Is Gidget a blondie who wears a bikini on a beach? One piece, but yes. Okay, so I'm assuming she's a famous 70s beach movie star. From Disney. That what? <laughs> Beach movies aimed at the teen crowd where it's teens at a beach having fun trying to save the rec center from the evil land developer. Da -da 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 -da. You know the formula by now. Is this where Jaws came from? Was Jaws like a beach? Like no, a Jaws was not a Gidget. <laughs> Jaws and Gidget do not meet other than both having happening at a beach. So they do meet. <laughs> <laughs> Jaws versus Gidget, the next franchise war. <laughs> No, it's basically, hey, teens have disposable income now. Let's target a movie at teens. And we don't really know how to do that because we are clueless adults. So what are the kids into these days? Surfing? Sold. Oh, right. Because teenagers as a concept didn't exist until the 50s? About then, yeah. We invented teenagers. <laughs> You just went from like 12 to 20 before this. As soon as you turned 13, they just gave you a suit and or coal dust on your face and sent you to the mines and or the office. But once once we had invented the concept of a teenager, we had to market to them. Exactly. Okay. And it takes a while before they can really laser focus in on that. And I feel like the 80s is where they really hit their stride with that. In the 80s, they realized... The youth aren't as innocent and pure as these beach movies would like you to believe. So the beach movies are not sexed up? Oh, they're sexed up in the most pure way imaginable. Like, there are girls dancing in bikinis, but Gidget is worried because she doesn't want to seem like a slut in front of Moondoggy, so she won't French him. Oh, that's so cute. Right? Okay. I've definitely seen things that riff on this without understanding the context. 
Yeah, yeah, I figured because it's just getting kind of folded into the cultural consciousness without people understanding what it came from. Yeah, like if you're going to make fun of schlocky, wholesome movies, you just stick people on the beach dancing. Yes. (laughs) Why? I don't know. That's just what we do. Dancing in swimsuits that could be revealing, but aren't. It's a very delicate line to walk. Yes. I know exactly what you mean. (laughs) Anyway, um, so the first real teen sex comedy, I feel, was 1981's Porky's. Directed by our old friend from the Christmas horror movie episode, Bob Clark. Bob! Bobbert, yes. I'm so excited to see Bob again. (laughs) I know nothing about... I think I get... Yeah, I don't know anything about Porky's. All right, well, quick overview. Takes place in Florida, so you know it's already going to be fucked up. Uh, This clique of teenage boys does anything and everything to get laid and fuck with each other. Um, And the main thrust of the plot is one night they go to Porky's, a strip club out in the Everglades, where they are robbed and humiliated and they have to get their revenge on Porky's and its owner, Porky. Okay. There's a lot to unpack in that summary. (laughs) So we went from wholesome wholesome sex speech to strip club in the Everglades. The opposite of the beach. With a low-key revenge fantasy. Yes. Humiliation revenge fantasy. Correct. Do you think this was made by a virgin? It feels it has incel vibes. It does very much have incel vibes. And no, I don't believe Bob Clark was a virgin because he based the... Like, this is basically a series of vignettes. It's not a whole put-together plot, whatever. Okay. It's following these boys from Angel Beach around as they try to get laid and fuck with each other. It's about how teenage boys want sex, but actually they're not looking for sex. They're looking for power. They're looking Pretty for much, yeah. maturity, like responsibility. Uh, we're doing the thing like from Everybody Wants Something. This is just the callback episode where these guys <laughs> are jockeying for a position with each other by how many girls they've had sex with and how many boobs they've seen. And you have to be... The alphaist of males to be considered part of this pack. It's not about the girls at all. No. There is one named female character, I'm pretty sure, who's actually a character and not someone they just stick in there for a sexual joke. It was the part that John Hughes wrote. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But he based these stories on things he remembered from his childhood and things his friends did or other people around him remembered from their childhoods. So he's trying to be true to life with his sexism. (laughs) What he does do well is he shows that these kids have lives that are serious, I guess. In Gidget, it's still adults looking down on kids and saying, hey, remember when we were that age and things were pure and innocent and da-da-da-da-da-da. Yeah, it's it's not taking their perspectives and their problems seriously yeah because when you're a teenager it it all feels very oh yeah it feels meaningful Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like a nostalgia trip to you it's your life yeah exactly which is funny because this was based in the 1950s and put out in the 80s porky's was porky's was yes oh i feel like that's common though like when you really want to get a good portrayal of a teenager it's frequently a nostalgic Look back. Because you have to put yourself in that position again and try and remember how you were when you were a teenager. Yeah. I mean, he has a 
child who's abused by his father. Uh, he discusses racism. Yeah, he tries to be serious in his first teen sex comedy. He's all over the fucking place. It's not a serious film. It has serious parts, but no, it is not a serious film. It is a farce. It's tonal whiplash completely between the girls or the guys going underneath the school and peeking in the pipes on girls in the shower. Sexy. Love it. Love, right? love some low-key assault. And then it switches to one of the guys on the basketball team trying to beat up the Jewish kid. Anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism. The full package. Yeah. But it's okay. He learns at the end that Jewish kids are okay, and his dad was the one who taught him the racisms. If your racism is inherited, then it's honestly come by. Honestly come by racism. That's the only good kind. It's like inherited wealth. Back then, it was fine. Now, we'd kill you. Eat the rich and the anti-Semites. So the thing that Porky's brought to the teen genre is taking teen problems seriously. It's not making them small and looking down on them. And unfortunately, that also means he's making the problem of teenage boys craving sex and taking it seriously. I'm a little confused because you just said that they were abused and anti-Semitic. Yeah. Anti-Semitism and abuse is a problem in the mind of a teenage boy. And also, I've never seen a naked girl. That's the bigger problem. He gives them equal weight. As someone raised in the gentle grandfatherly lap of the patriarchy do they not have equal weight in a teen boy's mind <laughs> they do and i feel like that's what they were tapping into okay so this was this was like praise he it's equal- praise and condemnation at the same time because it's obviously stupid that getting laid at a whorehouse is just as important as standing up to your abusive father i weirdly i want to defend it and i've not even seen this film but i feel like in our culture, in our culture, we equate having sex with being an adult. And so you can't stand up to your father until you're an adult. Is there not that connection there? There is, but this is one of the cool characters who's obviously gotten laid before. Like, they don't make that connection. They don't have them become of age as soon as they get laid. These are characters who have gotten laid in the past, except for Pee Wee, who is the stereotypical nerd we open the movie with him measuring his penis because he's worried it's getting smaller when he wakes up with an erection anyway all the other characters are these cool as cucumbers 50s high school boys on the varsity basketball team probably getting laid in their off time but still going to peek on girls in the shower okay so it's not like we're gonna get laid for our first time to be men so that we can take on our problems yes it's like we're surrounded by the steamy shower of pheromones and sex already, but we want to get laid right now. And we will go to obscene lengths to do so. To prove that our penises are not shrinking. Yes. I was trying to make an obscene length joke, but I'm very tired. Oh no, there is an obscene length joke. One of the characters is named Meat. Can you guess why? Because he really likes hamburgers? Yes, that's it exactly. (laughs) No, because his penis is large and when a... Exotic dancer sees it for the first time, says, woof, that boy is deformed. That's great. I like that a lot. <laughs> that, that's, that's a little subversion I wasn't expecting there. I expected the exotic dancer to name him Meat, not call him deformed because <laughs> he's so big. <laughs> uh, and they have to warn a freshman girl off because she's sent over as a dare to ask him why he's called Meat. 
and Meat is about to show her before they say, no, Meat, you're going to get kicked off the basketball team if you show your dick to another minor. I just love watching you absorb these little tidbits of these movies as I try to offend you more and more. Just the silence as this just creeps into your brain and you figure out what I just said and it breaks you a little. It does. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We used to be the smart kids of making me dumber every episode. (laughs) Every episode I run anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah. One last thing I wanted to hit on the racism thing is they spend a lot of this movie saying racism is bad. They bring a bunch of their friends out to the Everglades, a theme here where they go to a shack where they say they've hired an exotic dancer called Cherry Forever. And if you chip in five bucks, she's going to bang everyone in a line. Two of the teenage boys wanted to pull a prank on everyone. They hire this black gentleman who's very childlike who doesn't really understand what's going on to pretend to break in and he is the stripper's wife and he threatens everyone and they run out into the everglades naked he was pretending to be the stripper's husband the black man was pretending to be the stripper's husband who finds out about the orgy orgy gangbang i'm not sure how to describe this but that sounds like a gangbang if we're going to be official about it one woman a line of men yeah okay He finds out about the gangbang and pretends to be upset and has a machete and pretends to cut up the boys who are in on the joke and chases the other ones who have stripped down for inspection and are waiting their turn out into the Everglades. Which also, there's male frontal nudity, which does not really appear much later. Okay, fine. It gets points for having male frontal nudity. Yes. I'll give it that. I'm giving these tiny points in its favor when everything else is so ass backwards. We'll tally them in a very light gray. Instead of the dark, sharpie lines of the negative points. So yes, Bob Clark is trying to make a point that racism is bad. Poorly, but he's trying. But sexism is just fine. He probably didn't even know it was sexist. (laughs) He probably did not. But I don't know. This is coming from the guy who did Black Christmas, where a girl getting an abortion is treated sympathetically. Mm, That's a good point. How far apart were they? A couple years. Black Christmas actually came first. So either he got more sexist with time, or he could view women as people in specific situations, but overall still (laughs) saw them as trophies. Or saw that he could make more money by viewing them as trophies. He was trying to tap into that teenage boy id that really defined this genre. I would agree with you, except I really struggle with believing that someone can turn that on and off. Well, I agree and disagree. All right, I just want to throw this in because I think it's also interesting. This is the also start of the one weird trick to get a girl to have sex with you. There's always one weird trick for any girl to get them to have sex with you. In this one, it was One of the gym teachers, if she's taken up into the storage closet and smells the musk on boys' jock straps, she gets turned on and wants to have sex. And that's, I feel like, a hallmark of the genre, that there's one thing you can do for every individual girl, and that's going to make them have sex with you. It's insert this, sex comes out. Mine is the laundry. Yes. Do the laundry and I'll have sex with you. (laughs) Ah, oh, you must get laid by yourself a lot, then. Unfortunately, no, because I don't do the laundry. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the progenitor. That was the grandfather of all of these 80s sex comedies. 
I should have known that this was starting badly when it was called Porky's and it was the the grandfather. Grandfather Porky. <laughs> From that, a wealth of teen and sex comedies just kind of exploded onto the theaters. You have your joysticks where it's guys running an arcade and having sex. Uh, screwballs where it's high school guys just trying to get even with the pure virgin who has narked on them a couple times by showing her naked to the school. Just all this mean-spirited shit. All this shit trying to recapture that magic, recapture that dollar figure that Porky's got for showing this male id and reveling in it. So it's a race to the bottom to dehumanize women. Basically, yes. Love it. Um, Meatballs 2. Have you ever seen Meatballs 1? Bill Murray's first real starring role outside of some weird indie shit. I maintain that Bill Murray has a fall coming, but no, I've never seen either of them. Meatballs are summer camp movies, basically. Meatballs is a title. Yes. Meatballs 1 was a somewhat movie with heart where Bill Murray helps the loner camp kid get over himself and become part of the camp. And also he tries to sleep with other counselors. And there's a weird almost rape scene where Bill Murray is just pressuring this girl into sex that is very uncomfortable. But that's not what we want to discuss right now. We want to discuss Meatballs 2 because this has been bothering me. They filmed it as a sex comedy, but it's rated PG. Oh, God. And there's also a psychic alien who comes to camp, but that's a whole other story. The return of Dr. Alien. Yes. No, the psychic alien just wants to be a kid at camp. Um, (laughs) (laughs) This is why we like the 80s, though. Yes, because they just do this batshit stuff to see what sticks. But this has been driving me crazy, and if anyone can solve this mystery for me, the first Humble Me Daddy t-shirt we print will be yours. (laughs) I have read years ago that Meatballs 2 was filmed as a sex comedy with nudity intact for the European market, but then actresses sued so that it would not be released because they did not want their boobs out there. This has since disappeared from the internet, and I can find no trace of it whatsoever, and I'm worried I just made it up in my head. So if anyone knows what the hell happened there, please write into us and the Humble Me Daddy t-shirt will be yours. I just love the idea of like, this is what you make up and then confuse yourself with. Like, was Meatballs 2 actually filmed as a sex comedy that the actresses sued over? Most people are like, I think I'm going to have French toast for dinner. (laughs) Anyway, this is all through the beginning of the 80s. And then we get to the high water or low water mark. I don't know how you want to describe it. Of the teen sex comedy. Well, John Hughes claims the high water mic, so. Uh, Revenge of the Nerds, 1984. Yeah. I've heard of this. But you have never seen Revenge of the Nerds. I think because you told me never to watch it. Yeah, pretty much. Yes, it was in the it was in the other episode. Yes, this is all just a callback episode. This is all just a callback episode. I've been <laughs> yeah. talking about these other things. I'm like, yeah, I, I want to talk about those some more, so. Now you guys get to just sit through that. I was going to say, you should probably explain what I've been talking about to this woman who has no <laughs> idea. Um, so yeah, Revenge of the Nerds. Uh, nerds move to campus. They're freshmen. And they are picked on by the jock fraternity and their sister sorority. It's basically a parable for oppression. No. No. No, 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 no. Wait for it. It gets better. Mm-mm-mm. I'm buckling in. <laughs> They try to form their own fraternity to get on the Greek council to fight back. Whatever. It's a whole thing. There's an internal logic there. Whatever. To make their own fraternity, they have to join an existing Greek society. So 
they join the black fraternity because they are oppressed too. <sighs> Why? And then the black fraternity backing them is just kind of treated as props throughout the rest of the movie. When they need- obviously. Yes, obviously. obviously. <laughs> when they need security, there are these big burly black guys who stand behind them. It's I I I I hate it. I hate it. I'm so, I'm so mad. Uh, one of their members is a black character, which. Wow. But also a stereotypical gay guy. Oh, no. The only words that are coming are transactional feminism. <laughs> inter, in, inter. Intersectionality. There we go. That's in my notes. That's the word that they don't really believe in. Because when this character's on screen, it's mostly making fun of his femme mannerisms. Hold on, tell me more about this. How is this still not being inter? How I don't even know how to use the word intersectionality in this in a sentence. Because while they have the black gay character, he's treated as a joke rather than a full member of the nerd crew. This is the one movie where the gay guy makes up better than all the straight girls. It's intersectionality for the MAGA crowd. Yes. It's not great. <laughs> it was truly a revolutionary thought for them to be like, wait, a black person can also be gay. But it's just a horribly offensive film from top to bottom, but became a classic for some reason. I think it's because they were again targeting that teenage male id, but the nerdy version of it, which wasn't really a demographic before, I don't think. They created the nerds? They didn't create them, but they established them as a force that's someone you can identify with and not be ashamed of and there's this whole big speech at the end like if you've ever felt picked on for being smart come stand with us or for being weird or being different and it's just so straight white male what was me shit going on like yes they were picked on by the jocks yes they were assaulted yes they had their house trash these are all terrible things uh-huh. But it's just so small in the grand scheme of things, and they're putting this up as this huge fight against oppression, that nerds over the world have been oppressed for years, and this is our reckoning. Meanwhile, women are just, oh, Jesus Christ, I don't even know where to start with how the women are treated in this film. Sex robots. Yes, but some of them are ugly. There's a, an ugly sorority that teams up with the nerds fraternity an entire sorority of ugly girls yes but it's hey you can sleep with ugly girls too it's okay they don't have to have a personality you can just bang them okay how much more of this do i have to listen to you're breaking me this i know i'm sorry cuts. i've just never been able to talk about this out loud and you're getting the word vomit from it there's the ugly girls who you can have sex with and then forget about because they don't matter except for the one who's the love interest of the good nerd, the one who isn't completely sexist, whatever. And then there are the hot girls that you can lust after and marry and peek on them in the shower and put video cameras in their rooms and pretend to be their boyfriend with a mask on and fuck them and then turns out that you're so good at sex she doesn't care that she was just raped. So we have ugly girls? Yes. And one of them is the romantic interest? Of the good nerd, yes. The one who is not treated as the most sexist nerd alive. The hot girls who we just get to objectify and use. Correct. Any other categories of... No, that's it. So this is, like, frankly, pretty standard fare. Maybe it created it, but, like, this is still normal. Yes. This, like, flows all the way into rom-coms. 
<laughs> yes, it does. There is a fairly sweet love story between the good nerd and the good ugly sorority girl. Just write it from her point of view and you have a rom-com. Exactly. You have She's All That. Yeah, this is the nadir of the genre. It's where all of these completely sexist, terrible ideas are put together in a I don't know if it's big budget, but budgeted movie with plot, whatever, made all the money, became a classic. And from there, it just kind of fractured. The genre said, okay, where else can we go now? Revenge of the Nerds has done everything we wanted to do. And it's diminishing returns after this. I think this is where it actually gets kind of interesting. I feel like it's kind of splits in two directions here, which is how we get to the 90s. But before then... We can split off and go to our good friend Meatballs, but Meatballs 3 this time, (laughs) where you just dig yourself deeper and deeper into depravity. Teen sex comedies are now about boobs and how hilarious it is that you can look at boobs. Getting this much closer to porn. I mean, we don't have male frontal nudity anymore, I'm assuming. No. No, they can't be seen as vulnerable, fragile sexual objects. No. And uh, so we're not full on porn. But we are porn adjacent. I think after Revenge of the Nerds, they realized they had to make it also appealing at least a little bit to the female audience. So this is this is the track that doesn't follow Meatballs 3. This is the other split. The this other, is the other split, yes. The other branch. Where you get things like um, Earth Girls Are Easy. It is a sex comedy about Jim Carrey, Damon Wayans, and Jeff Goldblum coming to Earth as fuzzy aliens. And trying to get laid, but it's from the perspective of the girl who finds them and her sassy sidekick, Julie Brown, who turns the movie into a musical. I mean, it sounds kind of adorable. It is. It is an adorable sex comedy. Like, if it's from the point of view of the girls who find the aliens, where are we on the scale of women or sex objects? I mean, that is how the aliens kind of view them. They see MTV and like, we're going to Earth to get laid. But the female main character was just cheated on by her boyfriend, is trying to have a rebound fuck, and is like, yeah, I'm not going to fall in love with you, but when I shave you, you're hot Jeff Goldblum and not a fuzzy blue alien. And she's like, yeah, I can go for that. Oh, what's this? I'm falling in love? Hmm. She has agency. She decides that she's going to pursue this guy rather than being pursued and being tricked into sex. But John Hughes is still the height of the genre. Yes, because he didn't do fuzzy blue aliens. Between you and me, who has the stronger female characters? The Fuzzy Blue Alien movie or Breakfast Club? Fuzzy Blue Alien movie, hands down. It sounds better. It sounds like they're empowered and they have sexual agency, which is like mind-blowing. Yes, and it's still a sex comedy because it revolves around sex, basically. But I want sex comedies with women, which is another episode we should do. Okay. And just to clarify, it's not just a Fuzzy Blue Alien. There's also a Fuzzy Red Alien and a Fuzzy Yellow Alien. And one of them is Jim Carrey. Is Jim Carrey the red one? I believe he's the yellow one. I don't quote me on that, though. I just have a feeling. And also the musical numbers are fucking choice. They're just comedy songs from a female perspective, and they're great, and I love it. You're really selling me on this film. This film should be if it is not a cult classic. It should be. Uh, I don't know how much of a cult classic it is, but they just released the Blu-ray for it and the Vestron video line where they're bringing back cheesy 80s movies. And I got it, and I loved it. Anyway, um, and that brings me to, during my research for this, I'm going through my sex comedies, because I have quite a few. Like, feel free to judge me for this, but even when they're sexist and terrible, something about them draws me in. 
We have already talked extensively yes, we've, on we've, this, though. We've done like, this. It tickles your brain. You're like, ah, oh, the sexism. It appeals to me because I see it, and I see what it's revealing about you. Not like you, Eric, but like you, the people who made it. Yeah. And you're like, ah, it's so interesting because it works for me, but it doesn't. And I'm getting like a mental, intellectual fuck while I'm also getting a literal fuck. I mean, not yes. literal. Yes, all right. We've covered it. Thank you. I'm sorry <laughs> to try and bring it up again. I'm sorry. Um. So this movie, pretty smart. Uh, Patricia Arquette's first movie. Oh, okay. This sounds almost familiar. It's not, but I can pretend. It's about two sisters whose parents are just like, fuck off. We're going to Europe. We're sending you to an all-girls school. 90% of the screen time is just women talking to women. It passes the Bechdel test almost immediately. Did you know the Bechdel test was a joke? I do. And people take it super seriously? Yes. Anyway, Bechdel test. If anyway. two women are on screen and they talk to each other about something that is not a man, mm-hmm. it passes the Bechdel test. And yes. the point is just that an alarming That's number. That's such a low bar and not a lot of movies pass it. But also there are feminist films that don't pass the Bechdel test. Correct. So this is still a sex comedy. These girls are shown naked more often than... Oh, Jesus. Let's say more often than even in a pinky violence movie. And we're going to come back to that comparison. Oh, I wanted to say something. Okay. Go. No, go. So like a quick pause in this. You're going to have to repeat that. Yeah. But quick pause in this. When you say sex comedy, I feel like you're immediately saying that it is sexist against women. Yes. In the 80s. Yes, absolutely. Without a doubt. Zero doubt in my mind. The assumption bugs me. I just feel like, because I haven't seen these, right? You can shoot naked women in a way that is very sexist, and I'm assuming that that's what they did because I trust you. But you can also have naked women on screen, and it's not sexist. It's just sex. It's just naked women. Yes. Or, like, women with sexual agency. So, we're, you know, the fuzzy alien movie. Yes. And I feel like that line gets really confused for a lot of people, that, like, sex means bad for women mm-hmm. and it really bothers me that's all. i get that but if you saw the way this movie was shot you'd understand what i'm trying to say here yeah i know i just wanted to pull that soapbox okay. out okay go on so yes these women are shot naked very often every five minutes or so a tit is whipped out they're sunbathing naked they're sitting in their dorm room naked it's just any excuse to get them naked and it's very male gazy in how they're filmed but aside from that, it's basically a chick flick. Yeah, I, I, well, hmm. Okay. <laughs> hmm. It's about these girls who are pitted against the patriarchy of their school. Their principal is trying to set these two cliques against each other. One sister's in one, one sister's in the other. And the girls have to... Well, first, obviously, there's a prank war because there has to be. Do you remember the parent trap, the Lindsay Lohan version? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's basically that. It's these harmless, funny pranks that they do on each other. While naked. No. Oh. No, it's like the nakedness is almost separate from the plot. So that the women could just like fast forward through the naked parts and watch the movie and the men could fast forward to the naked parts and skip the movie. Exactly. Huh. And then their favorite teacher gets fired because she takes the freak click under her wing and takes them out to Greece, I want to say. Just on a day trip to Greece, it's fine. It's a very rich school. so much weird shit happening, it's hard to comment on anything. 
And then they realize they have to work together and throw away the men trying to turn them against each other and girl power. And we're going to take back the school for women. And the disgraced teacher is going to come back and run the school now. Are they naked then? Yes, but for a different reason. (laughs) Because it was a wet t-shirt contest? No, because it turns out this entire time the principal of the school has been shrinking their uniforms, filming their dorm rooms and selling it to the highest bidder. I was with you until this. this yes, is pretty right? gross. Right? Yeah. Why are we all of a sudden peeping tomming it? These are rich girls from influential families. And if you have the daughter of a Supreme Court justice naked on film, that's going to be leverage. But this is from an entirely different film. Yes. Is this the film where we're watching the naked people or the one where we're watching the other scenes? They come together in this. The girls realize they're being filmed and the patriarchy's fucking them over. They turn that around. They take the scenes that they're being filmed doing and say, oh, this is what you're watching? Well, you're fucking gross. They have one of the male characters ask for them to sit on his face and they just grab a pillow, slap it on him and sit on the pillow to try and smother him. They put in fake fangs and turn to the cameras and I don't know. It's that's how it comes together. So they take back their power by... By turning around the voyeurism and saying, I know you're fucking watching and that's gross, so I'm going to fuck it up for you. Okay. I feel like there are probably better ways to take back your power. Oh, there are absolutely better ways to take back your power. Oh, and the principal's also having drugs smuggled in their luggage when they send them out on school trips. There's a lot going on there. There is a lot going on. That's a lot, yeah. But that is the plot that's unimportant basically what i really loved about this movie is aside from the girls passing the bechdel test and being friends with other girls and i don't know showing an accurate representation of female friendship i feel Mm -hmm. you could watch this and completely disagree that also shows the girls being in charge of their own sexuality which as i ranted about refreshing like there's a co-ed mixer between these girls and a boys school and the girls are their pursuers They're pursuing because these are rich men and they could become very rich wives if they marry them and they go after the richest guys, but they're also getting their own. They're not just being meaningless sex objects for the boys. They're making the boys pleasure them. And they're also choosing who they want to sleep with. They're choosing, yeah. I mean, maybe for shady reasons, but who cares? Yeah, it's their choice. It's Yeah. And that is what I found so refreshing and so confusing. Because, like you said, it's two movies smashed together. So I kind of want to go back to my comments about Bob Clark earlier and how you were like, maybe he sees women as people, but he just knows he makes more money when he doesn't. Mm -hmm. I feel like this is a good example, having never seen this film, (laughs) of how that just doesn't fly to me because it would feel confusing if you truly saw women as people to make a film like that. Yes. I don't think that you could. The woman would still be a person. Mm -hmm. And in this situation, they're definitely people. But it's also condemning the audience at the same time, the same way Pinky Violence does. It gives you this audience insert character. You are the principal in your darkened office watching these girls on a VCR as they have naked pillow fights and bang these other rich boys. So it's condemning the viewer while also titillating them. That's very Pinky Violence. That's what I'm saying. That's also what drew me into this. And this is just... 
the weirdest outlier of teenage sex comedies from the 80s that I really had to share with everyone, and that's why we've been discussing it for so long. It doesn't fit anywhere else in the grand thesis of things, but I needed to share this because it's so cool and so off-putting at the same fucking time. Wait, so there aren't, like, more films like this? I mean, they're trend in that direction, like Earth Girls Are Easy. Oh, okay, but this one is, like, the furthest that you have found. Correct. That shows women as people with their own sexual agency and also, like, sort of plays with what the teen sex comedy genre is with the voyeurism. Correct. Almost like they made a teen sex comedy on top of another film yes. that they were more interested they in. They were tricking the boys into going to see a chick flick by having boobs in it. Jennifer's body tried. They failed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, that pretty much brings us to the end of the 80s and the 80s teen sex comedy. It died off, basically. Like, there's a few last gasps of low-budget sex comedies in the early 90s. Uh, There was a brief resurgence with the American Pie movies, which, again, sexism, trying to make girls actual characters, but eh. I've never seen American Pie, so I can't comment. I just know there's a dirty thing with a trumpet. That's the second one. In the first one, Allison Hannigan talks about sticking a flute up her pussy. That would not feel good. Well, apparently that's what you do at band camp. You just get off by whatever means necessary. That's the origin of the band camp jokes. Yes, it is. Oh my god, you're just figuring this out? <sighs> Ladies and gentlemen, we have witnessed history. <laughs> <laughs> you are the last person to not know where that joke came from. Congratulations. Thank you. The world is now whole. <laughs> Everybody knows what happens at band camp now and why. Yes. Uh, The Van Wilder films in the early 2000s, basically, they try and surface and then they just disappear again because that time has passed. That era of casual sexism has a certain appeal to a certain audience. And then the rest of the world realizes, yeah, okay, we've seen that. We're done now. It can go away for another decade. How does that lead into the, the McLovin film? Super bad. Thank you. That whole string of films in the 2000s, I think. Because I feel like they're related. Are they not? They are. Yeah. Super bad definitely pulls from that milieu. And I feel like they're trying to make a less sexist comedy and failing miserably, but they're trying. I think they just kept women out of super bad. Yes, that too. It's like they realized that casual sexism wasn't funny, but desperate teenage boys were yes. yeah so they're like well our solution will just be no women exactly you can't have sexism if there are no women <laughs> and yeah there are brief moments where i feel like that was more true to life because just these tiny moments where women intersected with this boys only sphere and then left again just as quickly and then they end the movie with the boys going off with girls and showing that it's growing up we're back to you need to have sex to be a man exactly yes we've come full circle down with the incels. So it's just this whole genre of movie that's been imprinted on the American movie's DNA that pops up every now and then, has these scenarios that are repeated years down the line, these ideas that are just not completely discarded, but just kind of buried beneath the surface. The rest of these movies are just built on top of them. It sort of dovetails into a thing I've been thinking about a lot lately where art just keeps folding back in on it self Mm -hmm. where you're referencing things that have gone before and if you haven't seen those references and that's your first experience of it and that's just then you have no idea why things are happening at band camp 
Well, yes, but also it's just it's a very different film for you mm-hmm. than for someone who understands all the references. I can't go back, but I wonder what it's like to start watching films now. So yeah, that has been our journey through the 80s teen sex comedy and the ideas and characterizations it introduced. Do you feel like you've picked up a little more on the American movie experience now that you understand where some of this is coming from? I think it just contextualizes a lot of things that I hadn't really thought about before, but that I had absorbed, mm-hmm. like teenage boys want to have sex. Weird, right? Women are trophies. <laughs> we love boobs. And a lot of this is where that came from. And that's... Is this where boobs are a plot comes from? Pretty much, yes. Like the pursuit of boobs is a plot. Correct. I think what I'm really Boobs are more that... incidental in the 70s and the 80s. No, they're a journey. There are two mountains, you crest. I think one of the things that makes me the most sad is that there is this, like, it sounds like there's this tiny budding moment where women also got sexual agency, but, like, mm-hmm. by that point, people were kind of tired of the genre. Correct. And it just all got washed washed away. Thrown out with the bathwater, yes. Yeah, it's a, that's a bummer. I mean, we should never forget that at one point, Jeff Goldblum was a fuzzy blue alien. That's my daughter. She needs a hug. All right, well, this has been We Used to Be the Smart Kids. I'm Eric. I'm Carolyn. (laughs) And now you're smarter. Bye. Thanks for listening. Our intro music is from Tim Beak. You can find him at timbeak.com. And our outro music is by One Man Symphony. And you can find them at onemansymphony.com.